0: Welcome to the New Freedom Church podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly thirty-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. In the Book of Luke, I found uh, as we are going through these these messages this year, the good news. We, we took all the Gospels and we just kind of grabbed some themes from them. But as I got to Luke chapter 6, I found that it, there's so much meat right here. There's so much condensed in this one chapter that I just couldn't spend one week on it. I actually need four weeks on Luke. This is the third week on Luke chapter 6. And today is going to be one of those messages that you are not going to like personally. Now, you probably will like this message for somebody else. But personally, this is going to be a very challenging message. And yet when I say that, I also recognize that most of the sayings of Jesus, most of the teachings of the Jesus way are very personally challenging. I mean, when you have as your example, when you have as the model of our faith, someone who was sinless, someone perfect, someone who never messed up, that is very challenging for our frail human condition. But nonetheless, we are called to be followers, imitators of God and followers of Jesus. So in Luke chapter six, I want to read a verse, a passage of scripture, and maybe you can guess where this text is headed today. Luke chapter six, verse 38. Here's what it says. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, press down, shaken together and running over. Don't you love those verses? They have some, some hand motions to them. This one has that. This, this one you can kind of get with. Give, it'll be given to you, good measure. Press down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom, into your life. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, if I were to ask the question, what is this message about today? Where have you heard this text and where have you heard this verse before? I can tell you for myself and in growing up in church for many, many years and as a a young person and coming through, typically this verse would be used at offering time. When we pass the offering plates, this would be the verse that is used. So if I were to ask you, what is this message going to be about today? Someone might say, this is a giving message. You're right, it is a giving message, but it is not primarily a financial giving message. Now, someone asked me not long ago, they said, Pastor, how is the church finances doing? I know that we're in this, uh, you know, post-worldwide pandemic and the economy has, has really had a lot of shakes and a lot of turns. And, and how, are, how is the church doing? They really cared. How is the church doing? And I, my response was, well, we have fared better than many. We, we've done better than many. But in this post-pandemic time, yes, as a, as a congregation, we have seen this year a shortfall in our budget. And so I, I got to put in a pencil to that and I thought, you know what? That can easily be made up if just 40 people would give $40 a week, would, would be part of the 40-40 club is what I would think about it. If, if 40 people would do that, maybe some of those are online. A few of those are, are people who are watching us online, they're connected to us, but, but they've just really never gotten involved. 40-40, $40 for 40 people. Or maybe some of them are, are in the room today or are part of this congregation, and, and they're here, uh, and, and they're wondering, "How can I get better involved with the church?" Well, be part of the 40-40 club. you can do that. Now for most of us, 40 dollars is not a tithe, but it would be a step of faith. It would be a sacrifice for many. And so God honors every sacrifice. And I will say that, yes, you cannot outgive God. So when you give there will be something that will be good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. There will be something of value more than just God patting you on the back that you will see as a result of partnering with this local body and with God when it comes to your finances. However, in context, this is not a verse or a passage about money. Let's read it in context. How me know that's important. The full context of this verse is not a fundraising passage, so let's read the whole thing. When you read something in context in the Bible, you have to read what happened before that verse and what happens after. You do know that the chapters in the verses were added later. The the Bible was written as, as like, letters, and so they didn't break them up in chapter and verses. The uh, translators did that for us for ease of reading later on. And so when read in context, here's the passage Of scripture we're dealing with today. Luke 6, 37 through 42. Jesus says, judge not and you will be not judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, everybody say forgive. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Now we get to verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, somebody say same measure, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Let me just break this one down for you. A speck would be like a piece of sawdust and a plank would be like a two by four. So why... In Jesus' words, do you look and pick out the sawdust in someone else's eye, but you have a two before in your own eye? Verse 42. Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, when you yourself do not see that there's a plank in your own eye? Hypocrite! First, remove the plank in your own eye, and then you will clearly see the speck in your brother's eye. This passage of Scripture is not one we like to apply personally. We would rather apply it to someone else because the best, most difficult thing you and I will ever do is wrap our heads, our hearts, and our arms around the concept of forgiveness. Now, somebody's sitting here thinking, okay, you pulled me in, Pastor. I wasn't quite thrilled when you were talking about money, but now that you're talking about forgiveness, sign me up for that $40. I'd rather do that. Because honestly, it's a whole lot easier for us to financially sacrifice than to sacrifice some ego. To sacrifice an I'm sorry. To sacrifice I was wrong. To sacrifice I forgive you even if I never will see you get the just due that I think you deserve. And Jesus was telling us, and he frames it like this Don't judge. Because when you do, you're judged. But if you don't judge and you don't condemn, then you won't be condemned. For with the same measure of grace, forgiveness, acceptance, love that you give, of forgiveness, of mercy, of compassion that you give, it will be measured back to you. Freedom is found in forgiveness. Now let's look at this this entire passage for a second. This passage primarily is dealing with interpersonal relationships. It's not uh, quite a specific passage for abuse or for criminal acts. I think that there's another little lens that we need to look over that with, and, and we can touch on that a little bit. But primarily, what this is dealing with is interpersonal relationships, which is really all that our life consists of, is it not? We deal with people. We deal with difficult people. We deal with easy to deal with people. We deal with pleasant people, unpleasant people. We ourselves are difficult people, are pleasant people, are unpleasant people. Fill in the blank and you can put my name or yours in there anytime. Just change the circumstance and change the setting. But this is dealing primarily with interpersonal relationships. And in terms of forgiveness, the measure to which we extend is the measure that we will be recipients of. So how much forgiveness we give is in correlation to how much that we are going to receive. And Jesus told a parable. Now a parable, you know, a parable is a time-released capsule story. It is released to you when you need it the most. It's not like a parable is, is just so plain that you get it all at once, but right when the moment is opportune. You will, re- you will see the truth of a parable. And so Jesus told them a parable about the blind leading the blind. And then he gave the logical conclusion. What happens when the blind leads the blind? They don't get very far, do they? They both fall in a ditch. And so, okay, Jesus, I get the blind leading the blind thing, but what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with forgiveness? Why tell this parable about someone leading another person who can't even see. Now, here's the application I believe that the Lord would have us have in this context, is that when you are rubbed wrong, when you are offended, and Jesus said, be on watch, you will be offended. (laughs) It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When you are given the opportunity by life circumstance to be in the position of forgiving another person, and I say it's an opportunity, Because God is a great forgiver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why did he give his only begotten son? That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God is a great giver, and he is a great forgiver. But here's the application. When the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. So when you and I have a rub, when you and I have an ought, when we have something as an opportunity that we have been given to a Uh, uh, forgive someone with, what we better not do, and Jesus' parable is applying this, what we better not do is go to someone else who is already crotchety, complaining, mad, they can't see their own log in their eye, and tell them all the problem, tell them all the grievance, tell them all the complaint, because then what we have done is we've allied with someone who can't even see clearly, and they're going to lead us into a place that is called a ditch. Now, if you want out of the ditch today, and I've had a chance to prepare my heart for six days on this, to get out of that ditch. See, this kind of stuff's easy preaching, it's hard living, all right? Because we're all in this pilgrim journey together. We all, whether we're teachers of the word or recipients of the word, have to deal with the very stark truths of God's word that contrast our human desires, and our human nature. And so what Jesus is saying is, when you take your problems to a troubled soul, you only compound the problem more, and you both end up in a ditch. Instead, look at verse 40, he says, a disciple, no, a disciple is a disciplined one. That's all that a disciple means, a disciplined one. One that has disciplines like their teacher, It's an apprentice. You and I are disciples. We are like apprentices of Jesus. We are following the Jesus way. Does that mean we're perfect? Doesn't mean we're perfect. Does that mean we're going to stumble? Yes, we're going to fall. We're going to mess up. But it says a disciple is not above the teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. It didn't say everyone who is perfect but perfectly trained. How do we get perfectly trained? Well, you can go home and you can read the entire sixth chapter of Luke and you can see that there is tucked in there what we call the Beatitudes, these nine lessons of learning to be a disciple of Jesus that we are on all, listen, we are all on a remedial class of trying to learn and relearn these things. Listen, this book is not something you can just read once and say, yeah, I read the Bible once. No, this is a living word. It's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And when you read this book, it pierces as it goes in, and it heals as it comes out. And if you will allow this word to infiltrate your life, then you will be perfectly trained as a disciplined one of Jesus. And what did Jesus tell us to do right after the Great Commission, before he left this earth in physical form? He said, Go ye. That means go you into all the world. And he never told us to make converts. Isn't this interesting? Jesus didn't go and say, just get as many people as you can to join on your bandwagon. No, he said, go and make disciples, disciplined ones, followers of the way of Jesus. Those who are not blind in their spiritual eyes, going to other blind people, asking them advice, for their grievance, for their problem, for the solution of their life, and then thereby both of them falling into this. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to do these things. And then he gives us this promise, and he said, I'll be with you always, even until the end. Now, those are comforting words. You are not alone. Jesus, by the Spirit of the living God, is walking with us, living on the inside of us. You are not alone. You see, the Jesus way is to forgive and be healed. Jesus said, the disciple isn't above the teacher. So what happened to our teacher? He was mocked. He was spit upon. He was lied about. He was wrongfully accused. He was wrongfully crucified. They plucked the hair out of his beard. They pulled his hair. They whipped him on the back until he was bludgeoned and bleeding and dying, and yet we complain because somebody made fun of our Christian bumper sticker at Kroger. A disciple is not above their teacher. Now, I'm not trying to minimize your plight. I'm not trying to minimize your problem, but I'm here to tell you that the Jesus way is to forgive and be healed. And here's what you also need to know. Biblical forgiveness is both selfless and just a tad bit selfish. It's selfless in that biblical forgiveness will cause you to kiss revenge goodbye. Biblical forgiveness will cause you to have to reconcile the fact that you may never hear the words, I'm sorry, from your offender. It is selfless in that the very person who wronged you may never accept the blame for the injury they caused. But biblical forgiveness is a tad bit selfish because we know the end of the book and we know that the one forgiving is the one who gets set free Mm -hmm. and I wanna be free. I don't want to be bound I don't want to be chained I don't want to have these these conversations in my mind of well if she says this and I'll say that and if he does this and I'll do that and if they no I don't want to have those because you are giving free rent to your offender in your brain you're letting them live there rent free and you are rehearsing and you are bound by the unforgiveness by rehearsing the story, by rehearsing the hurt time and time again. And our human nature causes us, because we're hardwired this way, to look at others' faults while we give ourselves a pass, to look at the speck in someone else's eye, but we're plank-eyed saints and we don't realize it. And that is our human nature. And that is why that we need another mature, Jesus-loving believer to come alongside of us put their loving arms around us and say, and here's here's how they do it to me. Joey, say I lose the whole pastor and everything. Joey, you were wrong. You need to forgive. You need to operate in love. You need to let it go. It's eating you up more than it's eating them up. We need other people to come alongside us because... We can't see what we can't see. See, Jesus talking about this sawdust in our brother's eye, but a two before in our own eye is just his clever way of saying, we all have blind spots. Just look to your neighbor and say, I have a blind spot. I know that's hard. About half of you participated. Come on, we're going to get the older. Look look to your neighbor and say, I have blind spots. Now, smile real big if they got anything in their teeth. Just tell them you got, no, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) That's only what wives do to husbands. (laughs) But this is Jesus' clever way of saying, you have blind spots. We all have blind spots. But look at the prescription that Jesus says. Before you try to fix somebody else, Jesus, as our teacher, as our role model, as our master says, deal with your problems first. This was first century vernacular for when you're in the airplane and the alarms go off and the emergency is happening and the stewardess is running up and down the aisle, you don't put the oxygen on the children first, you put your own oxygen on first. Oh, but no, I want to take care of my kids. By taking care of you first, then you are able to take care of others. But if you never take care of you, you're a disaster, a blind guide, and you can never lead others. It starts in your heart first. Judgment begins in the house of God. Not out there. We all know John 3.16. I just quoted, let me say John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him they might be saved. So let us lay down our stones. Judgment begins in the house of God. And if you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then the house of God is not these four walls we're sitting in. We as lively stones make up the house of God. So where does judgment begin? Unforgiveness needs to be judged in my heart first. It needs to be judged in my life first. It needs to be repented of in my heart, in my life first. This is all right here in Luke chapter six. And here, here is the great example that we see in all of eternity, in all of, of God's divine wisdom. It says of Jesus that he is the lamb who was slain When, Before the foundation of the world. So before the beginning even was, God is the Alpha and Omega. He knew the end from the beginning. And he chose this time period of the Roman Empire to bring forth his own son. And in that day, there was a gruesome, humiliating, defiling way of death, and that was a criminal's cross. And on a criminal's cross, there were two distinct directions that the person who was accused of a crime would be crucified. First, they would be laid on a vertical beam. They would be affixed and attached to that beam, and then they would be laid on a horizontal beam with their hands stretched out, and nail pierces in their hands. And from this great symbol, we wear it around our neck and on our jewelry today. We put it on our our clothing. We put it on our cars. This is actually a symbol in the ancient world of suffering and shame. But for us, for Christ followers in this day and in this era, we look at it as a symbol of God's great love. But let's look at it for something else too it is also a symbol of two directional paths by which we need to reconcile with God. First of all, we have to get our heart right vertically with the Lord. Forgiveness is granted between us and God. When we receive the forgiveness of God vertically, then the horizontal life becomes a whole lot easier. Because when we have received forgiveness from God, now we can be givers of forgiveness to others. The vertical beam means I have a debt that needs to be settled between me and God, which I can never settle on my own. It took a a stand in between, it took a, a go between, it took a priest, a high priest, Jesus, our high priest, who was tempted in all points as we are, yet he was without sin, the spotless lamb. Jesus took care of that vertical relationship and all that we have to do is accept by faith the work of the cross and we are made right with God. But there's also a horizontal beam. And this is perhaps the most difficult one for us to walk out because we live in this flesh. Even though we walk in the flesh, we are not to walk according to the flesh. For the things which are seen are just temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. And so we cannot see the vertical of our forgiveness other than by the outworking of our lives. Because when God invades a a temple, when God's come into a life, when, when a change starts to activate, it happens from the inside out. And that's why you can do all the religious ceremonies and ritualistic washings that you want. You can can wash the outside of the glass, but the inside is what really matters. And if you get the inside clean, then all of a sudden over time, it may not happen overnight, but over time the outside starts to look different. That person comes to Christ and the first week, they may not dress a whole lot different, but over time God might... Convict them and say, maybe you shouldn't show so much skin. Maybe, maybe, you shouldn't, maybe you shouldn't wear this thing, but maybe you should wear that. Maybe you shouldn't go to this place, but you should go that. You don't have to tell them as a church member where to go, what to do, how to, how to vote, where, where you associate with you. You don't need to tell them any of that. God's Spirit, you listen, I trust Jesus. He can do it. And so when we get that vertical taken care of, then horizontally God has given us this pathway of forgiveness. R.T. Kendall is a great retired pastor now who pastored for more than 30 years in Great Britain. And he wrote a book on forgiveness. And I just want to share some of the wisdom uh, from, from his writings here. I won't have time to get into all of them today, but I want to share with you a couple things forgiveness is not. And then a couple things forgiveness is forgiveness is not approval of what they did. You see, Jesus, when encountering the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, did not approve of her actions, yet neither did he condemn her to a life of having to stay in that sin. What did he tell her? He said, you are forgiven. What you did wasn't approved. What you did was wrong. You are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. You don't have to forgive and let someone off the hook for everything. You don't have to look over and, and, as though what they did wasn't substantive. It was. It, it is not approval. It is forgiveness. Also, it is not pardoning what they did. Pardon is a legal transaction whereby, whereby a refender, uh, offender is released due to a, a written ordinance or something that exonerates them from what the law says. It's a court-ordered pardon. You're not pardoning anyone. That's up to God. So your forgiveness doesn't get them off the hook. It's not, neither is it reconciliation. We, we get this wrong so often. We think that uh, reconciliation is that, well, they're forgiven, we have to be best friends again. Reconciliation requires the participation of three. You, the other person, and God. Now, you can... Pray before God before you ever go to offer the forgiveness, but they may not accept the forgiveness. Therefore, if the other party is not willing, then reconciliation is not possible. Can't happen. Also, there are things that people are carrying even to this day over offenses that someone caused them who's no longer even alive. How can you reconcile with someone who's no longer living? You can't. They're gone. They're dead and gone. You can still forgive them, But you're not talking about reconciliation. So please don't get this notion that just because you forgave, you have to now all of a sudden be somebody's best friend. An injured person can forgive the offender without reconciliation. And in most cases, we as the forgiving party should not press reconciliation, it has to be a mutual decision. It is not forgetting. Some have said, you'll know you've forgiven when you've really forgotten. But I challenge that notion because we are fearfully and wonderfully made in such a way that our minds will record significant events that a smell, a song, a shine of light, so many things can bring us right back to a moment of significance to our lives. Have you ever experienced that? You've taken right back because your mind records things. And so if, if someone has deeply wounded and offended and hurt you, it's likely that you will never completely forget. You can't just simply get rid of, of that memory. That's bad advice to say that, you, that you're going to forget it. There's something really good about remembering things that have hurt us. Any, any children, uh, any, any, anyone ever instructed their children not to touch a hot stove and that little cantankerous cute little three-year-old decided they were going to touch that hot stove. Do you think they did it twice? (laughs) They remembered the pain and they didn't do it again. And so remembering can be a way of protecting ourselves. But there is a difference between a wound and a scar. You see, a wound is open, is hurting, and it needs healing. But a scar is just proof that there once was a wound It's a remembrance of what happened and that you never want to go through that again, but a scar doesn't hurt anymore. When I was about six years old, I lived in a a small neighborhood and we had a a family dog and right next door to us was also our neighbors had had a dog. We were on good terms with our neighbors, but their dog was always chained up and our dog was just run free. And I never understood at six why that their dog was always chained up. I would hear him out there barking and I just, I just like pets. And so one day I wandered off when I wasn't supposed to wander off and I went out the back door and my dog was out playing and I got a little too close to the neighbor's dog who was on the chain and the neighbor's dog knocked me down. My dog came to my aid and the neighbor's dog was mauling me and bit me in the head so, so much in the back that that I had a gash and I had to go to the, the emergency room before finally the neighbors came and everything was broken up. But I had to get multiple stitches in the back of my head at six years old. And now today, when I'm parting my hair, when I'm combing my hair, I can see and I can find that scar. But can I tell you, it doesn't hurt. You could come and touch that scar, it doesn't hurt. But it still is a lifelong reminder that there once was a wound. There once were stitches there. At one time, it was oozing and it was painful, but now it's just a memory. And so forgiving is not forgetting, but if you are two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, still nursing a wound, then you've not forgiven because you're not healed. And if you will allow the precious Holy Spirit of God to do a work in your heart of forgiveness, then you can receive the freedom of healing that wound. And eventually, it'll become a scab. The scab will hurt, but it will fall off. And one day, it will become a scar. And when it's a scar, someone may ask, what happened there? You don't have to tell all the details, but you know enough to know. At one time, it was a wound. Now I can tell about it, but it no longer hurts. Not like it did. And what forgiveness is not is pretending that it didn't hurt. It's ridiculous for us to pretend that we're not bothered by hurtful things. Of course we're bothered. We're human. We feel hurt, injury, offense, slight. We feel that. We feel ridicule. We feel when we're made fun of. We feel when a betrayal happens with a friendship, an infidelity of a... a spouse, we, we feel what it's like to be spiritually abused by someone that we trusted as a leader. And this is rampant in the church world today. It's being uncovered in so many different circles. My heart breaks because to whom much is given, much is required. And I recognize that our actions, as well-intended as they are, can often cause hurt to other people. And I would challenge you, don't allow the wound the scar to paralyze you and to keep you bound. You may need to seek out a trusted brother or sister in Christ. You may need to seek out a Christian counselor to work through some of these issues in your life. Do whatever you need to do to receive the healing that you deserve because Jesus secured that healing for us. Let me share with you what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is being aware of what someone has done And choosing, it's a choice, to forgive them. Forgiveness is painful. You know why? Because it's painful in our minds to let go of the notion of revenge. It hurts to think that the person that wronged us will get away scot-free. Now, this ain't good English, but it's good preaching. Ain't nobody getting away with nothing. God keeps perfect records. And on the last day, he settles the scores. You may not see justice in your time, but justice will be done. Forgiveness also is choosing to keep no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians thirteen five says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Do you know why that we would keep a record of those things that someone did to offend us? Do you know why that we would want to categorize it and write it down and store it and save it? Do you know why? So that later on, we have proof and can show those that may not believe what happened, we can prove to them what happened. We can provide the evidence. We can build up the case. That's why that we keep a record of wrongs and we do it to our own peril. I preached a message like this about 10 years ago, and, and I remember that Right before I had preached that message, I got a hold of this this revelation. And I had come across a letter. It was a handwritten letter that I had chronicled. You ever write letters and not send them? You ought to do it. It's pretty good catharsis. I mean, it'll help you every now and then. You ever write a text and then delete it? That's Christian maturity now. (laughs) Trust me. But I had written a letter. and I I, I was basically lining out all the things Now, this is going back 10, 12 years. I don't even know how long it was. But I had found this letter of the wrongs that were perpetrated on me, and it was just an interpersonal conflict thing. And you know what I did? When I got a hold of this revelation, I ripped it up really good, and I threw it in the trash can. I got rid of it. I can't even, it it was in my notes, and I can't even remember to this day who was the offender, what the situation was, but I had chronicled a record of wrongs because I wanted to be able to prove it just in case everybody asked. Just in case somebody wanted to know the details and the facts, I had them lined out like a good attorney. I could argue this in the court of public opinion. But you know what God said? Get rid of it. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And forgiveness is refusing to punish. It seems unfair in our natural thinking that someone gets away with an indiscretion because we want to see them pay up, right? We want to see that they've made restitution. But 1 John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Watch this, because fear involves torment. Another translation says punishment. Fear involves punishment, but he who has fear has not been made perfect in love. We, a lot of times, will take the Old Testament out of context. I know I I do. And in the Old Testament, there was this equitable justice that said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You ever heard that? That's Old Testament. That's old law. What they were actually trying to do was to enact appropriate judgment, that the punishment would fit the crime. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth meant simply this. If someone knocks out your tooth, you know what you naturally want to do? You don't want to knock out their tooth. You want to knock out their teeth. Because you don't want justice, you want revenge. Come on now. We're all the same, okay? Just think because I'm on this stage doesn't mean I, listen, I've had to purify some, oh, Lord Jesus, help my thoughts, you know. (laughs) Come on, come on, Holy Spirit, where are you at? I, I need some help. An eye for an eye meant you're not going to knock out their teeth. If they knocked out your tooth, all you can go after is their tooth. If they killed your cat, you can't kill their dog and their cat. You can only kill their cat. I mean, right? That's justice. But we want revenge. And so forgiveness is refusing to punish. It's refusing revenge. And here's what it actually do. It sets God free to do what needs to be done. Now, it seems like a paradox that God would be bound by us. But can I tell you that in the terms of forgiveness, with the same measure that you use, you will receive in kind. When you forgive, you set God free to be a big forgiver for you. When you withhold forgiveness, then what you're doing is you're limiting, you're restricting the abilities, according to spiritual law, for God to do something great in your own life. Because you're blocking the flow of blessing by holding on unforgiveness. And if punishment is our motive, then we have grieved the Holy Spirit. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, it's not that we can't lift up our hands to worship, it's that we won't because we feel condemned, we feel guilty. We just don't feel the movement, we don't feel the freedom, the liberty to do so. Four is this, forgiveness is not telling what they did. Now, in church circles, and we've got one, we've got a prayer line, we've got a prayer chain. But I promise you this, because I send out most of the calls or, or one of our staff, it is simply a prayer line. It's not a prayer gossip line. A lot of, a lot of circles, we, we gossip in the form of, we sanitize it with prayer. Would you pray for me because my wife did something really bad. Let me tell you what she did so you can pray specifically. Right? I don't want you to be vague in your prayers. We don't tell what they did. There are times when something has happened to you and you you need a shoulder to cry on, you need a sounding board, you need an ear to bend. And if that's the case, choose you one or two faithful friends, confidants, people who can keep it close to the vest, a professional Christian counselor, someone that you can vent and air that out with, but don't go to this circle and that circle and that friend group and an next friend group. And Forgiveness is not telling what they did. Even if what they did and what you're telling can be factual. A fact and a fact and a fact does not the truth make. Hear me. Sharing a fact and a fact. You know, we, we, culturally, we've got this thing about tell your truth. No, you may be telling your version of facts, but you don't have a truth. I don't have a truth. This is the truth. Amen. Amen. So it's not telling what they did. It's not having to gain allies and get someone on our side. It's this, are you on the Lord's side? Don't ask God to get on your side. You just need to find out where God's blessing and go get on that side. That's so what Henry Blackaby said about the experience in God, the whole book that he wrote, experience in God, is Henry Blackaby was a relative unknown. In Saskatoon, Canada. Anybody ever know where Saskatoon is? I've never been there. Never pastored a church over 200 people, retired, and wrote a book called Experience in God. Anybody ever heard of Experience in God? Probably half the audience have. In the 90s, it, it became the bestseller. It went worldwide, and God plucked him out right there. Because God knows where you are. And his whole premise was find out where God's blessing and go get on God's side. And then miraculous things will begin to happen. Number five, forgiving is being gracious. Graciousness is shown by what we don't say more in times than what we do say. If they'll come and prepare i about to close. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. And get, grace is getting what I don't deserve. So Jesus said it like this. If you forgive forgiven a big measure, with that same measure, you're going to be forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, even a slight bit, then that's the kind of condition that you're going to have when forgiveness is flowing your way. And can I tell you that sometimes the most difficult area of forgiveness to walk into is when someone hasn't offended us, but they've offended someone that we love. We can take it, we have broad shoulders. We can get insulted, we can overlook it. But when someone has hurt, has had a criminal act, has offended, has injured someone we love, it injures our heart. And so today, my question is simple do you vertically need to receive forgiveness from God? Examine your heart, because until you receive the forgiveness that is offered freely by Jesus Christ and his shed blood at Calvary, you don't have the capacity horizontally to forgive others. You can try, but it's not lasting. But when you settle this first, then horizontally, you need to take a look, you need to survey and you need to ask, Is there someone I need to forgive? Is there someone that I need to forgive who didn't even offend me, but offended someone I love? Is there a withholding in my heart to let a prisoner go free? Because it's been said like this, when you forgive, you find out that prisoner was you. When you forgive, you get set free with heads bowed, no one looking around. Between you and God, I wanna pray a prayer. I wanna include this. First is your vertical relationship. And we say, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus, cleanse our hearts from all impurity, from all pride, from bitterness, anger, wrath, revenge, and unforgiveness. We repent. If you agree in that prayer, then do this, say, amen. And next Lord, there's some people I need to forgive. There's some situations that still run rampant through my mind. There's some things that have been building up in my heart and mind some of them for days and others for years, that I'm just waiting until with sackcloth and ashes, they come and they say they're sorry. Listen, they may never say they're sorry. It's still up to you to forgive. Do you wanna be set free today? If that's you, you, just say this, I forgive. Come on, we can say it together. I forgive. Lord, for everyone who prayed today, May their hearts receive the joy of knowing that you have forgiven us and that our sin debt will not be brought up against us and therefore we should not withhold forgiveness from anyone else. Help us to see that as you were gracious with us, we should be gracious with others. God, in this final song, would you just seal this gift of forgiveness for our own lives so that we would be great givers for other lives in Jesus' name.